0: Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for September 28. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. If you want to be known and celebrated these days, you need to ensure that the cameras are focused on you and that you're looking directly into them. This focus on self stands in stark contrast to the best traditions of British royalty. In theory, royalty exists not to promote themselves, but the interest of others. The royals don't look into the camera, rather the cameras follow them. Humility is the theme of an often overlooked parable recorded in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10.
1: Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at my table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty." Having
0: just spoken about genuine faith amongst would-be followers, Jesus contrasts the role of a master and servant, warning against pride. Building on a common theme in the first century Middle East, He uses the typical pattern of a master-servant relationship to illustrate the relationship between God and His people. It's a scene that will seem unfair to anyone who lives in a society that prizes egalitarianism and freedom, for the parable portrays acceptance of authority and respectful obedience to that authority. However, the late Kenneth Bailey, who spent many years in the Middle East, comments in his book Through Peasant Eyes that we need to be aware of the security that this classical relationship provides for the servant and the sense of worth and meaning that is deeply felt on the part of a servant who serves a great man. These qualities of meaning, worth, security and relationship are often tragically missing from the life of the worker today. The servant offers loyalty, obedience, and a great deal of hard work. But with an authentic Middle Eastern nobleman, the benefits mentioned are enormous. Jesus asks in his parable, Who amongst you, who has a servant ploughing and keeping sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline a table? He expects the answer, No one. Will he not rather say to him, Jesus continues, Prepare supper for me, and afterward you will eat and drink. Commentators have noted that the meal envisaged here is not late at night. More likely it would have been at three or four o'clock in the afternoon. The master isn't a bully demanding harsh and unfair hours of his servant. The parable is asking the question, does the Master provide special privileges to a servant who does his or her duties? To which the answer is, no. Jesus uses the parable to draw our attention to the nature of the relationship between himself and his followers, which we also find in other places. In John chapter 15, verse 15, for example, he calls his disciples friends but then qualifies this by noting that the servant is not greater than his master. Nowhere in the Bible do we find a casual egalitarianism between God and His people that is envisaged in some Christian circles today. God alone is God, and Christ is our Lord. Verse 9 presses the application. Using a form of question similar to what we find in verse 7, Jesus asks, Does he thank the servant? Again, expecting the answer, no. Jesus doesn't use the usual Greek word for thank. Rather, he uses the word charis, meaning grace or favour. Literally, he is asking, does he, the master, have any grace or favour for the servant? This is significant, for the theme of grace or favour is dominant throughout the Bible, and not least in the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we learn that Mary was told by the angel that she had found favour or grace with God. This doesn't mean that Mary had won favour with God because of some special action that deserved merit. Rather, The context reveals she was given a gift that was far too great to have been earned. God of His own initiative had granted her a favour, purely as a gift. Back in Luke chapter 17 verse 9, the question is even deeper, for it is asking if the servant now deserves more than just thanks for a day's work well done. Is the master now indebted to his servant? Is his work now worthy of merit, grace or favour? This is the central question the parable is addressing, to which the answer is no. The servant has simply done what he was required to do. He has no grounds for claiming special favour. The point is wrapped up in Jesus' final comment. So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say... We are worthless servants. We have only done what we ought to have done. The original word translated worthless here is difficult to express in English. Indeed, in his book Through Peasant Eyes, Kenneth Bailey suggests that we need to review how the word has been translated in Middle Eastern contexts. Following the 11th century Syriac and Arabic versions, we can better translate verse 10 as... We are servants, to whom nothing is owing. We have only done our duty. This is truly significant. It underlines yet again a theme that Jesus develops. Salvation is a gift. It's not merited in any way, shape or form. It anticipates His words about the purpose of His coming. To seek and to save the lost, as we read in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. So the parable here challenges every one of us who has turned to Jesus and become his follower. We are not employees who can expect payment or honour. Rather, we are servants of a master, in a very positive sense, who has committed himself to be completely responsible for us. We enjoy the benefits of his security as we work in his service from a sense of loyalty and obligation. We don't work expecting great rewards. We're simply doing our duty. So let me pray. Lord God, you declare your mighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us such a measure of your grace that running in the way of your commandments, we may obtain your promises and share in your heavenly treasure through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all men and women, and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen people involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christchurch Presbyterian San Francisco. The prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978. The opening and closing music is from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You may also like to listen to the hymn, For the Cause, from Keith and Kristen Getty at the Getty Music website, www.gettymusic.com